Well, good morning. morning. It's been a while since I've been here, but I see some familiar faces, and uh, it's just like old times. We've actually, a new community in our church in St. Louis Jubilee Church, we've got so much in common, just in what we've done, some of the things that we're engaged in, uh, multi-sites, all of that. We've kind of walked along together. David's been a huge help to us over in uh, St. Louis, and I'm happy to make a very small contribution here today. And our nations are in a similar place. Uh, we each have new leaders. <laughs> and we each are in a state of extreme uncertainty about the future as a result of what has transpired. It's just kind of amazing. But one thing we are certain about God knows what he's doing, and he orchestrates history on behalf of his kingdom, and with that we have confidence. I'm going to be reading uh, out of Luke 8. I've been quite blessed by the words that have come today. I feel happy about what I'm going to be talking about as a result of just being encouraged. Thank God speaking to us. We want to hear what he has to say to us, each individually and as a church. So I'll read you this little story in Luke chapter 8 and beginning with verse 41. Well, maybe I'll just start with verse 40 just in case, but it's not not on there for you. That's fine. Uh, When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. They were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. He had a fairly high level position. And this is what makes the rest of the story really amazing. Falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter. She was about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it to touch me? And they all denied it. And Peter said, Master, look, the crowds crowds are surrounding you here and pressing in on you. And Jesus said, if someone touched me, For I perceive power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus acknowledges and is concerned and is focused not only on us corporately, but particularly upon us as individuals. And uh, these are things we learn when we look at the life of Jesus. And he's, he's the representation of God the Father for sure. And we, we, we notice, like, for instance, John 1, 47, where Jesus saw uh, Nathaniel coming toward him and immediately perceived and said, Behold, an Israelite in which there is no deceit. Isn't it amazing how he can look at it? He just knows us. He can just pick out an individual. He's, he's picked out you. 
That's why you're here today. If you hadn't done that, you wouldn't be here today. You're not here by accident at all. You're here by the predetermined plan of God where he picked you out. It's wonderful. He could hear one voice in a crowd. With all these people yelling, and he could hear one voice. He could feel one touch of an individual whenever he was touched by many. He knew his sheep by name, and his personal touch imparted life. Now, that's just a bonus. That's not my message at all. I just threw that in. <laughs> we'll go back to reading Scripture. Verse 49. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe. She will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep. She's not dead. She's sleeping. And they laughed at him because they knew she was dead. But this, this is an amazing story, isn't it? I have a friend. I'll finish the scripture in a minute. I have a friend uh, in, in Jakarta, Indonesia. And he's, they're doing a tremendous job of seeing lots of, of uh, Muslims come to know Jesus and it's certainly not the safest place in the world, and his, and his life and the life of his leaders are under constant threat, uh, death threats. But people, I, I said to him, I was with him in December, and I, I said, Eddie, because I know they raised the dead over there. And I, I want to do that, and uh, I'm looking for volunteers, anyone? <laughs> And he said, we've had nine dead raised this year, raised from the dead. Is, is that something or what? It's amazing. So where was I? <laughs> but taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed something should be given her to eat. And her parents was amazed, and he charged them to tell no one what had happened. What? You can't. That's amazing part of the joy, isn't it? You can't tell anybody what happened. I don't know what that means. Anyway. We, we all want security. And security sells. And you see adverts about your money, for instance. You know, how you can have financial security. We all want security. And we want comfort. And all of us want to avoid pain at all costs. No one wants we, And we all want to somehow make it in life. And Jairus was one who had all of that going for him. He had arrived. He had job security, very, very important position. He made uh, good money. But something happened. His little daughter, his only daughter, became quite ill and was dying. And in life, regardless of how hard we work, we can't control the future. That's just the way it is. And I have news for you, if you hadn't already guessed. Whether you're rich or poor, working class, whatever you are, you can't control the future, and I'm looking at dead people. We're all going to die. Are you feeling good about this? Because 
Success and security, are, they're all illusions, and none of us are exempt from pain in life, and many of us in this room have already experienced certain degrees of pain. But life really begins for Jairus at this particular point, when we come to God and we say, help, and we recognize that really our life is only in God's hands, and he can only be the only one who can help. We get this kind of reality check through life. I mean, the days can tick over, but then suddenly something happens, and you get a reality check, and you realize you're not in control. It's happened to me on many occasions, and I would say for many of you it's happened as well. I'm thinking particularly just now of, of when my second uh, child was born, my little daughter, Charity, and uh, that goes back a few years. So let me just say that nowadays dads get to go in uh, and participate in the delivery, not in the pain, just be there. <laughs> but... but Back in the day, uh, in my country anyway, guys stayed in the waiting room, and they watched sports or something, <laughs> and they waited for the good news. You know, hey, you got a little boy or girl? Okay, great, because we didn't even know what they were, we were going to get, but we did know it'd be one of two things. <laughs> and, but our doctor, uh, we were f friends, and he said to me, John, why don't you come on back with us? You can hold your wife's hand, and I was going... I didn't really want to. Actually, I didn't. I know. It was, I was a coward. But I did, of course, because what am I going to do? She's right there and in pain and looking at me. And Yeah, of course. So I went back. <laughs> and uh, we had all these uh, medical personnel there. And, and uh, uh, she had the baby. And, uh, and I thought, hey, this is great. She had the baby. Fine. We're done. And... Uh, then she closed her eyes and went to sleep. Oh, she's tired. But all the other personnel had been dismissed except for the doctor and the nurse. And then I heard him say, uh, BP, blood pressure. And the nurse went, pulse. And she had no pulse. No blood pressure, no pulse. And then he said, code blue. And all the doors flew open, and medical people come in, and they asked me to leave, and I would not leave. That's a reality check. In a moment, your life is changing. In a flash, in a flash, just all these thoughts hit me of life without her. And I called out to God. I did not care who heard me. I did not pray quietly. <laughs> well, it's evident she's here. God raised her up. But as her husband, I wanted to make it right. I wanted to fix things. I couldn't. I would have given anything. All comfort, security, Everything else that had been important to me a moment before was no longer important to me. What, where do you turn whenever a situation is beyond your ability? And, and you want to fix it, but you can't, but it's well beyond your ability. At times, it's the unexpected that happens. It's like that, suddenly. But other times, it's, it's that things that take us down. It's just a daily grind of life. Life can be hard. 
There's the struggle. There's the day in, day out, the daily grind of life. Back in the U.S. years ago, there was a folk singer uh, who wrote songs about coal miners. And uh, coal miners had it pretty rough. You know, his name was Tennessee Ernie Ford. He had a great voice. Most of you would never heard the name, but he, he's, uh, he was good, in my opinion. But he wrote a song about coal mining because coal miners worked for the company, and the company had a company store, and you would go and you would charge things that you needed at the store and found yourself in debt, so your money was spent before your paycheck ever arrived, kind of. And he wrote this song. You get 16 tons of number nine coal, and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me, because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. <laughs> it's just that, you know, every day, the grind. And Jairus had heard about a man named Jesus, and he didn't understand who he was. But he heard that people believed that this Jesus could do the impossible. And he had an only daughter. And at that point, your pride and your position mean absolutely nothing. Turning to Jesus for us means that no one or nothing is absolutely hopeless. Now, right away, quick, I want to kick into gear and I'm going to go three, three things. Okay, you ready? Yeah. And then you're going to be amazingly best and faith-filled and look out the enemy of God's kingdom because the kingdom of God is going to come through you people, right? <laughs> All right, let's go. What does Jesus say to him? Well, the first thing he says is, do not be afraid. Don't fear. By the way, whenever God tells you that, there's usually something to be afraid of. Just want you to know that. <laughs> so Jesus seems to always tell this to people who are in possible situations. He just threw out in the Bible. I love those passages where he says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. But I'm afraid, don't be afraid. And, and when the woman came to the tomb, and the angel said what? Don't be afraid. When Jesus appeared to his friends after the resurrection, which was not very much expected, don't be afraid. Uh, because fear is just an awful thing. It, the effects of fear, and all of us in this room, we've been afraid. Some of us live a life of fear, really. God wants to set you free from that today. But the effects of fear cause us to live far below our potential. It paralyzes our potential. Fear makes us cynical. You know what cynicism is? I heard it's a value of the UK. Is that right? <laughs> it makes, fear makes us negative. Fear leads to regrets because we were afraid to take a chance here. And then life passes. We look back and fear kept me from. So it leads to regrets. And one of the worst things about fear is it torments us. We won't take risks. We're afraid. We try to live safe and, and calculated lives. We miss the purpose for which we were made. And here's an awful thing about fear. It breaks down trust. Because I'm afraid I could be hurt by you, I won't commit wholeheartedly to a relationship. It's a destroyer of relationship. It breaks down trust. Not only that, but fear breaks down trust in God. Sometimes we're afraid to say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it because we're afraid that he'll send us 
to some place we would not go. Otherwise, hate to go to. I won't. We're afraid. We, be, we don't trust God. Can I just say that everyone in this room believes in God or you wouldn't be here. But not everyone in this room trusts God. And there's a difference between believing God and trusting God. Because trust leads to security and peace. We fear what people will think. Well, if I take a stand, if I share what I believe to my neighbor, someone might laugh at me. I've been laughed at by the best. I've got to hurry. But I like telling stories. <laughs> I'm thinking about this. Uh, when we planted a church uh, at, uh, it was the fourth church we planted. And uh, I, we plant through prayer meetings, little prayer meeting with a little group that I gathered. And God spoke to me. So there's a building, and you should have this building. That was ridiculous. We didn't have any money. It's a big building, too. So you should have this building. It had a big car park with it as well. You should have this building. I didn't want a building. I didn't want the pressure of a building. I have a love-hate relationships with building. And God said, you should have that building. This is true. In prayer meetings, it's where I, I, I get things from Jesus. And then the other thing is, it's like, so, okay, we go for this building. In order to go for the building, you need money. Have you noticed that? It requires money. And even if you borrow money, it requires down payments. You've noticed that as well. Sizable down payments. We didn't have any money. But we went for this building. And we actually signed a contract on this building. And Phil, in that prayer meeting, God spoke to me. He says, I want you to go to the CEO of the banks, the banks in town, and the bank that loans you the money that allows you to buy this building, I'm going to save that banker and his household. Now, when I get things like that, I have a tendency to blurt it out. Because if I thought about it, I wouldn't say it. <laughs> and I said it, and we prayed. And I started going to banks, and I put on a suit. And all I had to present was uh, projections. We didn't have a history. We didn't have any money. So I, they don't loan money on projections. They do want to see some stability in history and know that you've got skin in the game. You know that's the way it is with banks. And uh, I remember going into one of the bankers. They all said no, of course. And I went into one banker and gave him my proposal and made my pitch and he laughed at me. <sighs> he said, that's, that's a fool's loan. Do I look like a fool? And I thought, yes, you do. <laughs> well, well I, I'll cut to the chase. We did find a banker. It's a great story. I don't have time to tell the whole story. But I practically lived in that lobby seeing him day after day. And ultimately, he loaned us this money. I'm asking why he loaned us this money. And he says, I don't know, but I do want to have a relationship with you. And I led him to Jesus and his wife to Jesus. And they got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and then he said after he got... I, I, I had him in a boat in the middle of the lake and he couldn't get away. And after, <laughs> after he committed his life to Jesus Christ, he says, what's next? I said, God saves us in the community. You need part of a church. Says, Why can't I come to your church? And I thought, because you will see what you loan money on. No. <laughs> but, 
he did come. And then one day he called me, he said, John, I knew his wife was younger. And he says, this is my second marriage and I was married before. I have grown daughters. They wouldn't have anything to do with me. They would never talk to me. He says, my oldest daughter called me and said, dad, I gave my life to Jesus and I want to have a relationship with you. Every one of the daughters that he was estranged to come to Jesus and had a relationship with him. God saved him and his household. Well, if I, if I wouldn't be afraid to be laughed at, this would have never happened. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. Just obey Jesus. We're, di- we're addicted to acceptance and not trusting that in Jesus. We're fully accepted. It doesn't matter if you get laughed at. They laughed at Jesus. They said, hey, <laughs> he said, she's not dead, she's sleeping. Well, they knew. No, she's dead. We're afraid of what people think. We shrink back. Don't let fear Rob you from obeying God. Let's go for it. Who cares what people think? Take a risk. Live once. <laughs> we shrink back into the background, and, do, and then we experience the very worst kind of death. There's nothing worse than being dead while you're still breathing. There's a lot of people there. We just quit growing. Jesus said, Don't be afraid. What are you going to be afraid of? What do you have to be afraid of? Fear paralyzes us. I love Romans 8. I could just live there, really. What then shall we say to these things? Whatever it is. What do we say to these things? Things that seem to be against us. The impossible. If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, he is for us. If he wasn't for us, we wouldn't be saved. So, that's what I say. What do I say to these things? I say, God's for me. Doesn't matter what you are, what the circumstances is, who can be against us? And he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely, graciously give us all things? Well, there's a lot of other stuff through that Romans passage. It's amazing. Jairus is at the beginning point in his life. When he understands he can't, he turns to the one who can. And as soon as he takes that positive step, he unleashes something that begins to happen. And, and at the same time, when he does that, the naysayers show up. Let me just say, when you take a stand for Jesus, the naysayers are not far away. They will show up, and they'll tell their doubts, and they'll say, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. God can't help you can't. You're not smart enough. You're not attractive enough. Watch who you're listening to. Be careful. It's too late. Your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. In 1903, you all remember that? Of course you don't. In 1903, the moment, the very exact moment, the Wright brothers were flying the first plane. An astronomer educated far beyond his intelligence, named Simon Newcomb, finished an article proving that flight was not possible. And this is what he said. And they're flying at the time. He's, there's no possible combination of known substances, known forms of machinery, and known forms of force that can be united in a practical machine by which men shall fly long distances through the air. It is impossible. A very profound statement, but they were flying. 
As a kid, I was a daydreamer. I used to watch Superman. I thought, I'd like to do that. I could do that. I could fly. I thought I could fly. I believed I could fly. I tied a blanket around my neck. <laughs> and I climbed up on top of my mother's very high, upright piano because I was going to fly. And I launched myself into the air. And I was flying until the floor jumped up and hit me in the face. <laughs> Well, I want to announce to you today that I can fly. That's how I got here. I can fly sitting in a chair at 35,000 feet, drinking a club soda, eating a package of wheat thins. By the way, it's false advertising. <laughs> I can fly. Okay, don't be afraid. You got it? No fear in this house among any of you, and you're dangerous when you get to that place. Second thing Jesus says is only believe. So, Jesus heard the daughter's dead, and he said, don't fear, only believe, she will be well. Hey, your daughter's dead. No, she's not. She'll believe. She's, she will be well. Can, I'm going to make a statement don't misunderstand it, but belief cannot exist without doubt. And don't you think when Jairus heard your daughter's dead, he didn't have a doubt? Of course he did. In fact, I'll make no statement. Faith can exist without doubt. It can't. So be encouraged if there's anyone in this room that's ever had a doubt. Then you're a candidate for wonderful faith. Now, I'm not recommending you doubt, because the Bible's pretty clear about that. Oh, ye of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt. I mean, the Bible's full of those, not encouraging us to doubt, but to believe. Uh, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your mind? Uh, I mean, even to one of his disciples, put your finger here, believe, you know, do not disbelieve. And James tells us to ask in faith, not doubting. So I just want you to know, I'm not recommending doubt, but I'm saying it's a reality. And it seems clear that doubt's not encouraged, but we all know what it's about. We all have had those things, and there's nothing admirable about doubt. Our goal is to believe God and not doubt. Jesus tells us to only believe. But, but let me just say that faith can exist without doubt. Certainty, absolute certainty, does not produce faith. When there is room for doubt, that becomes soil for faith to grow, because that's when you need it. Now you wonder, where in the world is he going? Well, let me just help you a bit. What if there was never any room for doubt? Everything was certain. What if Jesus periodically descended out of heaven, out of the cloud, just showed up, showed up today in Sidcup, shows up once a year here in London, whatever, held mass rallies, performed miracles, and ascended back up to heaven. You saw him. In... What would be the result? I don't believe God exists. And then God suddenly pops in the room and says, hey, what do you mean I don't exist? What would be the result if every time we prayed, people got healed? Every time. What would happen if when making decisions, God simply 
spoke to us in an audible voice or wrote on the wall and said, buy the white one. <laughs> what would happen if we had doubts about our faith and all of a sudden an angel appeared and tapped us on the shoulder and gave us a hug and said, now reminded us to believe. It was just all certain. What happens if all Christians were healthy? All Christians avoided the, the wars or epidemics or violent attacks. Would a world without faith, without doubt, strengthen faith? I think not. And so whenever you read this Hebrews 11 thing and you read, by, now faith is, is assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. There's no room for doubt. Maybe you think a good Christian does not doubt. Well, they do. I like what Frederick Beekner said. He said, whether your faith is that there is a God or that there is not a God, if you don't have any doubts, you're kidding yourself or you're asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith that keep it awake and moving. Or maybe I should say, doubts are the ants in the trousers of faith that keeps it awake and moving. I forget where I'm at sometimes. But what about... I'm in trouble. What about Abraham and Paul, who Paul calls in Romans the father of all who have faith? Hebrews 11 talks about Abraham. Did Abraham ever doubt? Yes, he did. I mean, he goes to Canaan and he obeys God. He gets his promise he's going to be a father of a great nation. At age 86, he can't wait any longer and he, he seeks an alternative maidservant Haggard, which to fulfill the promise of God in his own way does not happen. Then 13 years later, God speaks to him, says that his heir will come through Sarah. I mean, come on, you're 99, amazing result, birth of Isaac, all of that. Then God says, take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. Do you think he had any doubts? Of course he did. You can't read the account of Genesis or these accounts in Hebrews 11 and and sanitize them. They're real. They're real life. They're people that went through that. Determining whether they're going to believe God's word or not. What about Noah? This is one of the most ridiculous stories in all the Bible. God tells him to build a big ship, a boat, an ark. Half the size of a modern ocean liner. Big enough to play professional soccer on with spectators. He's building the ark in the middle of a field. He didn't build a trailer either. Far away from any river or lake or sea large enough to handle a boat of that size. And don't you think there are moments when he said, this is crazy. I know his wife said, you're a crazy man. She had to. Wives will remind you when you do silly things. Crazy. Don't think ever, why am I doing this? Building this big ship out in the middle of the field. And he continued with this foolishness. And don't you think that he wasn't hurt by the ridicule? What do you think about these boys that had to work with him on that and face their buddies? There was doubt. Doubt. Moses, same thing. Grew up in Pharaoh's house, educated by the, as a prince. The rescue of his second 40 years there, and he was rebuffed by Israelites. He wanted help to protect the next 40 years in the wilderness with little confidence in God. God said, come on, let's go back and do it. And he says, get somebody else. I, I'm just not the guy, of course. I could go through guys after guy. They doubted, they doubted, they doubted. And 
C.S. Lewis in his book, uh, you ever read C.S. Lewis? You take letters, letters. He makes this statement. He says, Be not deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never in more danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do our enemy's work that is God's will, looks upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. Still obeys. What a danger. Doubt is really fertile soil for faith. We don't live there, but it's there that causes us to dig deep. Find God. Jesus is a turnaround specialist. Whatever your problem is, can I just say Jesus is a solution? Okay, to finish up, three things. Number one, lose the distractions. Jesus went in the room. She's not dead, but sleeping. People laughed. He threw them out. He wouldn't let him go in the room. Yeah. I'm not going to hang with you if you're one of those yeah. negative, cynical doubters. I don't want to feed that into my soul. Yeah, I want someone to encourage me in Jesus. I don't want someone to tell me how stupid I am, yes. how I can't, can't be done. I don't want that. I remember Paul Sandrin was a guy that I admired years ago, and I was just a kid preacher. And he said to me, one statement totally changed my life to this very day. Just one, it's amazing the power of words. He said, John, you can do anything. No one ever told me that before. And I believed him. I believed him. I want to be around people like that. We need to be around encouragers. So he encouraged the girl to get up. And he encouraged Peter to walk on water. And he encouraged Zacchaeus to come down out of that tree. And he encouraged Lazarus, who'd been dead for three days, come on out of the tomb, boy. And he did. I like that. He can talk to the dead and make them come to life, and they'll hear him. They'll respond. Is there anything beyond what God can do? It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to practice it in the depths of your heart. Spiritual gifts are for what purpose? The building up. That's why God put us together. Let's build up one another. Shame on you if you're negative and cynical. Christians shouldn't have an ounce of that in them. Let's believe God. Let's encourage one another. So I want to hang out in a place among people who are positive, absolutely dangerous and ridiculous in their absolute faith and belief in God and want to encourage me. It's permission giving and encourage and have a church that has a vision. There's nothing impossible. God's called us. Why has he put us here? He's called us here to change the whole culture of of this uh, area around us. Let's do it. Let's, let's start more venues. Yeah. Let's commit more money. Yeah. Got it? Yeah. Let's write bigger checks. It's fun. Yeah. Fun! <laughs> what else are you going to spend it on? You're going to spend it on stuff that will rust and, and you got to throw out. Let's put it in something eternal. Just be ridiculous. Yeah. Hilarious in your giving. Is that all right, James? <laughs> you don't mind that? You sure? Because yeah. I can change it. No. no. <laughs> Second thing, second thing I say to you is refuse to give up. When Jesus died, his friends gave up and they went back to fishing. And three days later, the unexpected happened. Even death cannot stop God's plan. Live your life passionately for Jesus. Let's be passionate. 
You know what? I never intend to grow old. I, I won't. There's a lady that saw me in Brussels talking to Dave Holden, and she saw me from, and she said, who's that old man talking to Dave Holden? I beg to differ. <laughs> I never intend to do that. I intend to live my life passionately to the very end and live it to the fullest. Jesus refused to give up. I'd rather die for something rather than live for nothing. I get shot, I want to get shot in the face, not in the behind. I want to be killed going forward. Amen? Thank you. I feel at home now. Watch it, you're going to become Pentecostal on us here. <laughs> all right, the last thing I say is reach for Jesus. That's, these are all pretty simple things. I need help. I don't care who knows it. That's the way I felt when I felt many times. But it was my wife in that room and no breath in her and no blood pressure. I didn't care. Now, I reach out for the only one who can help me. And Jesus is compassionate. He's merciful. And he's powerful. And he believes in his work in us because he chose us. If he hadn't chose us, he wouldn't have. You see, he chose us to complete. He's going to finish what he started. And even in you, believe it or not, the scripture says, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship. Did you hear that? Whose workmanship are you? His. His. You're his idea. Created. You're created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. <laughs> Which God prepared beforehand. He had something laid out for you beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I believe that with all of my heart. There's no one here who's a nobody. God loved you, called you, created you, and he put you in this church. He put you in this church to mess with the kingdom of darkness and turn on the lights. You got it? Don't kick the darkness, just turn on the light, and it'll leave. All right. I got to stop. Lord, I pray for the fearful in this room. Set us free from that. I pray for those, Lord, who are facing impossibilities. I pray for those, Lord, whose dreams have seemed dead. Do you speak life to those things? I pray, Lord, for doubters. Lord, help us. We believe. But help us in our unbelief. You've not come to condemn us. you come to set us free and restore life and faith in us. Amen. Amen. <laughs>